0: When I talk about naval warfare on this channel, it's usually the Viking mariners of early medieval Europe that get my attention. But there are other eras that interest me too. One of these is the 20th century. I'm hoping to make some content on this period in the near future. In the meantime, this video is sponsored by World of Warships, a free to play online computer game that captures the essence of that fascinating age. World of Warships is completely free to play, you can command a massive naval fleet featuring some of the 20th century's most iconic war vessels. As you play you unlock new ships, over 200 being available from 11 different nations. With incredible attention to detail, each ship has been painstakingly reconstructed from 3D scans of their real life counterparts, making battle at sea as realistic as possible. In-game weather effects make each new battle unique, and can even change outcomes, forcing the player to adopt new tactics. World of Warships is constantly evolving the game, so there is always something new to experience with a steady update of new missions, game updates and events. You can join the steadily growing community of 30 million players worldwide, and get a free aircraft carrier the USS Langley by using my exclusive offer code, or by following the link in the description below. In the late summer of 1097, a crack force of heavily armoured warriors came hurtling down through the mountain passes of Cilicia, in sun-scorched southeastern Anatolia, to enter the lush, coastal plains beyond. To say that the region had a turbulent recent history would be an understatement. First held by the Roman Empire, the sought-after coastal plain had been conquered by the Arabs in the 8th century, becoming the front line of its 200-year war against the Byzantines. Until it was finally reconquered by the warrior emperor, Nikephorus Phocas, in the late 10th century. Since then, Cilicia had enjoyed a relative period of peace under the prosperous 40-year rule of Emperor Basil II, followed by another period of imperial collapse, brought on in part by the arrival of a new power in the region, in the form of the Seljuk Turks. Remnants of all of these occupiers could still be seen littering the landscape and in the ethnicities and culture of the people who lived there. Now, in the twilight years of the 11th century, the once mighty Seljuk Empire was on the brink too, fairly quickly fragmenting into various successor states after the death of the Sultan Malik Shah in 1092. Most of the people who lived in Cilicia were now Armenians. Often no particular allies to the Byzantines. For the most part, they lived under the rule of Turkish garrisons. And now, there was another faction to add to the mixing bowl. Numbering no more than 200 men, and guided by a local Armenian who knew the winding mountain paths well. 200 or so, Norman knights arrived at the thriving metropolis of Tarsus. The local Turkish garrison rushed out to face the newcomers, though they too were few in number and were soon pushed back. Normans were used to fighting in unfamiliar territory and in small numbers. In fact, they'd made a lifestyle out of it, ingratiating themselves into fragile political situations From the Irish Sea to the Eastern Mediterranean. They'd even been active in this very same region over the last half century or so of crumbling Byzantine rule. And now, the leader of this small force was going to attempt to establish himself, as his kinsmen had done all over Europe, as the new feudal lord of the region. Quickly establishing a loose cordon around the town, the Normans, made an elaborate show of preparing for the coming conflict, loudly proclaiming that they were just the vanguard of a much larger force on the way. Under the overall leadership of the great Bohemond of Taranto, master of southern Italy, These Normans were different from the groups of former mercenaries that likely still clung on in the region since the days of the rebel general, Philaratos Bucamios, said to have had a corps of 8,000 Norman mercenaries. This really was the vanguard of an extraordinary expedition. The leader of the force was Tancred, just 20 years old and Bowman's young nephew. Yet every bit spitting image of his uncle and his grandfather Robert Guiscard, Tancred was destined to be one of the most famous of all Norman adventurers and by day's end such was his boasting that the Turkish garrison really did give up and yield control of the city with just 200 men Tancred had seized control of one of the most important cities in the region, flying his banner for all to see. The geopolitical situation of the east was about to be transformed forever. Normans had already taken England, southern Italy and Sicily, and now they were going to take lands in the east. In the late 1090s, the gradual appearance of the armies of the First Crusade at the court of the Byzantine Emperor Alexius Comnenus proved to be a logistical nightmare. Month after month, year after year, as tens of thousands of Western Europeans passed through Constantinople, driven into a frenzy of religious fervour, others simply following their lords and taking the excuse to loot and pillage along the way. Alexius had the unenviable task of feeding and lodging the newcomers, in order to keep rampant looting and outright violence to a minimum as they passed through his lands. Thankfully for the most part, the great lords of Western Europe who had taken the cross, men like Raymond of Toulouse, Hugh the Great of France and Godfrey of Bouillon, seemed to have been genuinely motivated by religious conviction, and thus, did their best to keep their men in check. As they passed through Alexius' court, one by one, they made oaths to the emperor to return any previously held imperial lands back to him as they passed through Asia Minor. In return, he would provide them with a guide in the form of his general, Tatakios, a Turk who had been captured as a boy by Alexius' father and raised alongside him he would provide them with much-needed logistical and military assistance along the way, and could provide vital information on the Turkic armies they were about to come up against. When one of the last and most controversial of the great lords who were taken the cross arrived in Constantinople, however, Alexius had good reason to be wary. The Italo-Norman warlord, Bohemond of Taranto, was a giant of a man, both in stature and in character. He had spent an entire lifetime making war, more often than not against Alexius himself, who had personally led armies to combat him and his father, Robert Guiscard, on several occasions, as they ravaged their way along the Adriatic coastline in the 1080s. Yet nonetheless, Bohemund proved to be every bit the gentleman when he arrived in the great city in 1097, sparking at least some of Alexius’s advisers to surmise that he may have changed his ways. Alexius Comnenus, one of the greatest Byzantine emperors in history, and a man who had somehow brought his empire back from the brink of total collapse during the first decade of his reign, wasn't so convinced. In a tense personal meeting between the two one-time enemies, Bohemund agreed to make the oath, but only after quite outrageously suggesting that the emperor give him the title Domestic of the East, a powerful rank not held for a number of years, since the disastrous loss of most of their eastern lands to the Seljuk Turks after the defeat at Manzikert in 1071. Always a tacit politician, and knowing the Norman history of ingratiating themselves into existing political systems in order to further their own goals, Alexius politely declined the offer. Despite all of Bohemond's apparent newfound interest in supporting the empire, worrying omens for the future were also seen that day. Bohemond wasn't the only Norman in the army who had previously ravaged the empire, and almost none of these men took the oath. By the time he arrived in Constantinople in 1097, Bohemond had amassed around himself an elite force of some 5,000 like-minded ambitious young men. Many of them blooded from decades of warfare in the brutal maelstrom of 11th century Italy, and a large proportion of them having previously served during his or his father's campaigns against the Byzantines. Some had even been Byzantine mercenaries at some point in their careers. A notoriously independent-minded bunch With a reputation for answering to no man but themselves and their immediate liege lords, these Italo-Normans were moulded into a unified force, not only by religious conviction, but by the allure of riches to be won and territories to be claimed in the East. Most notable amongst Bohemond's inner entourage was his young nephew Tancred. Just 21 years old at the time, yet every bit as ferocious and ambitious as his uncle, Tancred was named after the patriarch of their family. His great-grandfather, whose sons exploits in Italy in the first half of the 11th century, had led to the establishment of the independent Norman realm there, where Tancred had been born. Tancred, who had been too young to take part in Giscard or Bohemond's campaigns along the Adriatic in the 1080s, very much possessed the Hauteville penchant for ruthless and naked ambition. This combined with the concessions granted by Pope Urban II, made for an intoxicating combination, and he now sought to make a name for himself that would echo down the ages. Despite Bohemund's outward pretenses of being religiously motivated, Tancred didn't even bother to pretend. In all likelihood, he and his retinue had probably engaged in widespread looting since they first arrived within the borders of the empire several months before, simply because they could. They even chose to take the very same route across the Adriatic that Bohemund had once treaded during his invasion a decade earlier. In a grim foreboding of the events that would follow over the coming years and decades, Tancred publicly scoffed at the idea of taking Alexius' oath, flat out refusing to do so in a flagrant challenge to the authority of the emperor, and even engaging in a minor brawl with some of Alexius' men, before finally being forced to take the oath by his uncle. Now, fairly certain of Bohemond's overall ambitions to claim a portion of the formerly Byzantine held lands for himself, and unwilling to put up the Normans for any longer, Alexius promptly shipped Bohemond's army across the Bosphorus to Asia Minor to link up with the rest of the Crusading army. It was there, on the western border of the Sultanate of Rum, a successor state to the Seljuks. ...that now held sway in much of the interior of Asia Minor... ...that the first engagement of the First Crusade would take place. For the time being at least... ...the Normans were out of Alexius's territory... ...but in reality, his problems were only just beginning. Once safely across the Bosphorus... ...the vast army, potentially numbering between 30,000 and 50,000 men... ...the largest army seen in Western Europe since the fall of Rome... Saw the first signs of the alien type of warfare they were about to come up against. Strewn all around them on the plains of northwestern Anatolia lay the grisly remains of the People's Crusade, a movement mostly consisting of poorly organized peasantry that had been decimated by the armies of Kilij Arslan, the Sultan of Rum, just months earlier. Arslan had managed to overcome the People's Crusade so easily that he decided to leave his capital of Nisir and campaign against his enemy to the east, the other major Turkic power of Anatolia, and another successor state to the Seljuks, the Danish mens. It was only then that the actual military leaders of the First Crusade arrived in his territory, and they almost immediately laid siege to his capital of Nisir. After a month-long siege, during which time Kilij Arslan attempted to break through the Crusader blockade to no avail, the Christian force awoke one morning to find that the garrison of the city had surrendered. Not to them, but to a Byzantine naval force that had arrived in secret to blockade the port and to negotiate with the governor of the city. Now back in Byzantine hands, and with a brutal sack of the city averted, the Crusaders had no choice to push on, through the interior of Asia Minor and towards the Holy Land. Much of the Norman leadership, and Tancred in particular, were furious over Alexius's actions, though in reality he had simply adhered to the oath that the majority of the Crusader leadership had made to him to restore formerly Byzantine held possessions back to the Empire. <music> Nevertheless. Much of the rank and file of the army were now adamantly distrustful and often outright hostile towards the Byzantines. Yet they had little time to muse over what had happened at Nicaea. Waiting for them, somewhere out in the hostile and unforgiving plains of central Anatolia, was Kilij Arslan, along with thousands of highly trained horse archers. The next battle of the First Crusade would be one of the first instances of a pitched battle between a Turkic army utilising the eastern style of warfare honed on the stepplands of Central Asia versus a Western European force fighting with an emphasis on heavily armed knights. Due to its sheer size and thus the logistical difficulty of feeding the army, which had to live off the land, the crusading force split into two detachments, the larger part being led by Count Raymond of Toulouse, along with much of the German, Frankish and Flemish detachments. The vanguard, however, a day's march ahead of Raymond's force, was a predominantly Norman affair. Led by Bohemund and supported by William the Conqueror's son Robert Curtos, on July 1st, near the ancient city of Doraleon... ...Bohemund's vanguard and Tancred alongside it... ...marched directly into a trap laid by Kilij Arslan... ...now supported by his one-time enemy, the Danish Metz. The fighting was brutal... ...and despite heavily outnumbering the attacking horse warriors... ...losses mounted quickly... ...as the heavily armoured knights and men-at-arms had arrows rained down upon them from the much more mobile Turkic force. The Norman leaders ordered their men to form up into a tight defensive square around their camp. And for hours, they defended this position against a ferocious onslaught. Kilij Arslan, assuming this to be the entire crusading army, urged his men ever onwards to press home their advantage and win the day. As Tancred and Bohemond urged their men to stand fast against this new style of warfare harassing them from all directions, contingents of knights began to trickle in from the main crusading force. Most notably Godfrey of Bouillon, who had ridden hard with his retinue of just 50 knights to join the battle. He somehow managed to slip through the Turkish lines to link up with Bohemond and Tancred, yet still crusader losses continued to mount. For seven hours they withstood a mauling from the Turks, until finally Raymond's force arrived on the scene, with tens of thousands of fresh warriors, who flooded out onto the field to Arslan's dismay. Realising the Crusader army to be simply too large to deal with, Kilij Arslan cut his losses and retreated. He wouldn't threaten the Crusaders again during the march to the Holy Land. In the aftermath of Dorylaeum. Alexius achieved some of his initial goals by retrieving various imperial territories adjacent to Nicaea. The Crusaders meanwhile continued onwards through Anatolia, towards the major regional city of Antioch. Once they reached the city of Heraclea however, they arrived at a crossroads. Two routes to Antioch lay open to the army, a safer though longer route through the Anti Taurus mountains, and a quicker shortcut through the mountain passes directly to the south. Though this was one which came with the threat of Turkish attack, the main army opted for the former, giving them time and breathing room to prepare for the upcoming Siege of Antioch. Though, a few select men were dispatched down the southern route. There they could make contact with local Armenians, resentful of Turkish rule, and approach Antioch in a pincer movement from two directions, along with logistical support. No sooner had Tancred taken the city of Tarsus however, did a second force arrive, this one was also led by an ambitious, younger relative, living under the shadow of a great man. He was Baldwin, younger brother of Godfrey of Bouillon, and he outnumbered Tancred by at least two to one. At first, relations were good, with the two men feasting together. By morning, however, tensions began to flare up. Having done all of the hard work, Tancred refused to share the plunder from the city equally with Baldwin's men. In response, Baldwin simply demanded overall control, forcing Tancred to yield to his authority and hoisting his own flag above the city. Tancred wasn't a man to be slighted and though he and his men soon left the city to seek better opportunities elsewhere, the event was the beginning of a feud that would last for the rest of his life. Next on the agenda was the town of Adana, where a confusing and vicious coup had just spread through the region. A local Armenian ruler, Oshin of Lampron, had just thrown off the town's Turkish garrison, adding it to his steadily growing territory. Also present, however, and currently occupying the citadel, were a small force of Frankish warriors, led by a Burgundian named Welf. Historians disagree as to the origins of these men, whether they were simply a rogue offshoot from the main crusading force, leftovers from the old Norman mercenaries once active in the region, or an entirely autonomous force of pirates, operating far outside their traditional haunts in the English Channel. Nevertheless, Tancred made common cause with both of these factions, though the city itself remained under the control of Oshin. An astute ruler, Oshin was able to avoid any further issues with the westerners by pointing Tancred in the direction of another town ready to throw off its Turkish occupiers. He even supplied Tancred with 200 reinforcements to assist him, Meanwhile, back at Tarsus, on the 24th of October, another group of Normans, 300 of them, arrived from the main Crusader army to add to Tancred's numbers. They were hungry and they were tired, and knowing nothing of the disagreement between Tancred and Baldwin's men, they asked to be let inside the city walls. Baldwin, however, now wary of the Normans, refused their request. And as they slept outside the walls, the city's Turkish garrison, emboldened by the disappearance of Tancred's flag, yet driven underground by Baldwin's occupation, slipped out from their hiding places to massacre the Norman force to a man as they slept. With the next day came outrage and a vicious massacre against the local population. Baldwin himself, lay low in fear of reprisals against himself. Tancred, meanwhile, successfully seized the town of Mamistra, finally rewarding his men with riches and plunder. Before long, however, Baldwin turned up too. A confrontation had to happen. Tancred, now having similar numbers to Baldwin, thanks to his Armenian allies, ...wouldn't back down this time. Incited by his erstwhile lieutenant, Richard of Salerno... ...who vowed vengeance for what had happened at Tarsus. A brawl, followed by an outright battle between the two forces, resulted. And Baldwin eventually left the city. He had been busy too, making his own Armenian links. Notably, a nobleman named Bagrat, whom he had met at the siege of Nicaea... Bagrat spoke of lands further to the east in need of liberation and protection. Baldwin wouldn't link up with the main army again after Cilicia, instead, heading straight to the east for the city of Edessa, which he would seize, forming the first of the Crusader states. Tancred, meanwhile, leaving wealth his Armenian allies and a small skeleton crew of Norman knights to hold on to his new interests, rode off to join the main army en route to Antioch. The new acquisitions included the metropolises of Tarsus, Adana and Mamistra, all formerly Byzantine cities conquered by the Seljuks just a handful of years previously as well as the strategically important castles of Savandakar and Anazarbus. These games would prove absolutely instrumental during the subsequent siege of Antioch, as well as the links Tancred successfully forged with the Armenian lords of Cilicia. Most notably Constantine I, the Rubenid lord of the mountains who provided a great deal of logistical support to the Crusaders during the costly and lengthy siege of Antioch and continued to be a firm ally for years to come. None of the formerly Byzantine cities were handed back to Alexius. After Antioch finally fell to the Crusaders in June 1098, Bohemond proved Alexius' fears to be entirely grounded when he set himself up as the de facto ruler of the city. Amidst great protests by Count Raymond of Toulouse, the few Byzantine representatives still present within the army, and a number of the other leaders. Yet, despite their anger at the situation, the decision was made to carry on south to Jerusalem, and leave Bohemond with his new possession. The latest Norman polity to be born. Principality of Antioch. Before annexing much of the adjacent territory into his new state, Bohemond dispatched his erstwhile second in command, Tancred, to be his representative at the siege of Jerusalem. Now, finally out of the shadow of his uncle, it was Tancred's time to shine. After another fierce siege, the Holy City of Jerusalem finally fell to the Crusaders in 1099. Tancred was one of the very first men to enter the city, the sack of which led to a grisly massacre of the vast majority of the native inhabitants, many of whom were Christians and Jews. Interestingly, in a brief glimpse into Tancred's personality, He is said to have given his standard to a group of terrified citizens who had taken refuge atop the Temple of Solomon, an act which should have guaranteed their safety. Upon returning, however, after taking his fair share of the plunder, he was outraged to discover that they had all been massacred by other groups of crusaders. The city had fallen, thus finally realising the goals of the crusade. Unlike the settlements further to the north such as Antioch however, Jerusalem hadn't been under the control of the Turks. Just prior to the arrival of the Crusaders, the city had fallen to the Egyptian Fatimid Caliphate, a rival Islamic power to the Turks. And they were still around. Some of the Crusaders enjoyed a brief rest Others began debating over how the new polity should be run. Tancred however, true to his personality, almost immediately left the city with a few select men in order to scout the Fatimid positions along the Palestinian coastline. Lo and behold, within a matter of days, Tancred and his men captured a handful of Egyptian scouts. After questioning, it became apparent that a large fully rested Fatimid army was headed straight for the Crusader force. Thus, Tancred's professionalism and alertness allowed for an effective counter-attack at the crucial moment when everything might have been lost. During that battle, fought at Ascalon, Tancred formed a major part of the army that punched through the Fatimid lines, winning the day ensuring the survival of the new polity. Upon the carving up of Jerusalem, Tancred, still only in his early 20s at the time, was made the Prince of Galilee, one of the highest ranking positions in the kingdom, and one which came with cities and castles. After close to three years of campaigning, Tancred had finally achieved what he had set out to do, though he wasn't independent, being subject to the defender of the city and leader of the Crusaders, Godfrey of Bouillon. Bohemond, meanwhile, rode north from Antioch in 1100, with just a few hundred knights, to aid one of his Armenian allies, Gabriel of Meletine a former officer of the Byzantine-Armenian general Philoratos Prokamios, who now held out in a stronghold to the north of Antioch. Without bothering to send scouts ahead of him, Bohemund was ambushed and soundly defeated by the Danish-mend Turks, who promptly took him prisoner. Thus, Tancred was called north by the Norman leadership to assume the regency of Antioch. Out of respect for his uncle, he didn't use the title of prince. Though, having said that, he was in no hurry to see his uncle released. Tancred would go on to hold the position of ruler of Antioch, on and off for the next 12 years. Thus, despite being the one who had raised the Norman force in the first place, it was Tancred, not Bohemond, who reaped the benefits of the First Crusade. Whilst Bohemond languished in the dungeons of the Danishmens, Tancred immediately set about reoccupying his old conquests in Cilicia, to reinforce the young principality, shamelessly throwing out their Byzantine garrisons and stocking the walls of Tarsus with loyal Armenians and Normans. He expanded his territory by annexing and conquering land from the multitude of Armenian factions in the region making common cause with the most legitimate of the bunch, the new Rubenid Lord of the Mountains, Thoros I, against the others. Likewise, Thoros was able to expand his own realm significantly due to Tancred's help. As well as going north, Tancred moved to the south too, showing particular interest in the port of Latakia, a formidable city the last Byzantine stronghold in the region, finally capturing it in 1103. In the same year, after three years of captivity, during which time he had refused the help of the Emperor Alexius, knowing that this would likely amount to little more than the exchange of one prison cell for another, Oamund was successfully ransomed back by Baldwin II, the new Count of Edessa thus ending Tancred's first tenure as prince. Tancred had proved to be an effective ruler of Antioch in Bohemond's absence, and was instrumental in the defence of the young principality. Almost as soon as Bohemond was released however, he launched into another full frontal attack, and again he was met with disaster. At the Battle of Haran in May 1104, The army of Edessa was annihilated, its Count Baldwin II captured by the victorious ruler of Mosul, Jakirmish, and held captive for the next four years. In Baldwin's absence, Tancred seized control of Edessa, placing his cousin Richard of Salerno in charge. Bohemond, meanwhile, returned to Europe to gather support for another crusade. Yet again, this left the Regency of Antioch in the capable hands of Tancred. For a short time, placing the leadership of both of the northernmost crusader states in Norman hands. An astonishing achievement, though a short-lived one. In 1104, the Odessan army had been destroyed at Harran, prompting the Turkish ruler of Aleppo, Ridwan to embark on an expansionist policy against the Crusaders. Tancred, however, was a master of strategy, successfully leading Ridwan into a trap, before breaking through his force with a customary Norman cavalry charge. The Battle of Arta was such a success for the army of Antioch, that they not only restored all of the territories lost at Haran, but rode all the way into the suburbs of Aleppo, sacking as they went before exacting tributary status on the city. Tancred didn't take the city. Not yet. Maybe he was weakening Aleppo to make way for an eventual attack. Though, in truth, taking the city would have created more problems than it was worth. The massive Muslim population there, too unruly for his relatively small group of Normans to rule over. For now, he was content to simply extort money from it, an art form that he was incredibly successful at. Upon Baldwin's release in 1108, in truth, an eventuality Tancred had been keen to avoid. The Count returned to Odessa to reclaim his position. He found there a reluctant opposition, sparking a vicious feud between the two factions despite still being surrounded on all sides by hostile Islamic powers. The conflict became so heated that each ruler brought in an outside Muslim power on their behalf, Baldwin siding with Mosul against Tancred and Aleppo. Tancred knew when he was beaten, and soon enough he gave up his control over Edessa and returned to Antioch, where he continued to rule. Meanwhile, in Europe, Oamund had succeeded in rallying a vast second crusading expedition. Instead of heading back to the Holy Land, however, he opted to attack Alexius directly at Constantinople. Oamund's last great venture was a complete failure, ending in total defeat by the Byzantines. After signing a treaty in 1108, whereby he promised Antioch's overall vassalage to the empire, Oamund was left a broken man. He never returned to Antioch, dying a few years later. Tancred, now at around the same age as Bohemond had been when he first took the cross, continued to expand his realm, ignoring the treaty signed by his uncle, and for all intents and purposes becoming the undisputed ruler of Antioch, and by extension, by far one of the most powerful crusader lords in the east. In 1110, he brought the imposing castle of Crac de Chevalier under his control, and secured himself a powerful ally and the beginnings of a dynasty, by marrying Cécile, the daughter of the King of France. By 1111, he formalised his influence over Aleppo, formally making it an Antiochian vassal, apparently even forcing some of the mosques in the city to install crosses over their minarets. Tancred was an astonishingly rigorous and energetic ruler, said to disregard sleep and leisure in preference to wakefulness and work. By 1112, he had brought Antioch to its absolute territorial peak. It was by far the strongest of the Crusader states. Within a matter of weeks, however, in one of the most fortuitous moments in the history of both the Crusades and the Norman conquests, a typhoid epidemic tore through the city, killing Tancred in the prime of his life. Tancred was succeeded as regent by the man deemed most fit for the job, his nephew, Roger of Salerno, son of his erstwhile lieutenant, Richard. Roger ruled as the power behind the throne until Bohemond's young son, Bohemond II, came of age. At first he did well, winning some victories against the neighbouring Muslim states, until he and virtually his entire army were massacred by the Arcticids of Aleppo in 1119. From then onwards, Antioch entered a long and steady decline, its loyalties and sometimes actual leadership passing between the Kingdom of Jerusalem, the Byzantine Empire and even the Armenian Kingdom of Cilicia, which it had initially helped to create until it was finally stamped out of existence in the 13th century.